but you never read the terms and conditions. I think that's really what joining a church is like because you don't really know what... It looks really nice. I just want the app. And so you say yes to the app. But the terms or conditions are a little bit more subtle. And these are the terms and conditions so that you know is that Christ wants to change you to become more like him and he's going to use people to irritate you, to frustrate you, to love you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to stir you, and to stick with you in that process. The beautiful T's and C's. Your role is to say yes to that shaping. And you can you get to almost choose the degree to which you want to do that. You can hang around in the fringes and enjoy it, like just using the app for what it's worth, or you can actually build deep friendships and join us as we seek to display Christ, and then the shaping will happen. And I want to encourage you as I pray for you that this season, for however long it is as you stood up here, would be a season that God blesses you and your family and then in turn, you bless us and those around you. It's beautiful, huh? We're in our penultimate series in James. Um, uh, we have a two-week break. Uh, next week, the elders are uh, just getting together to uh, pray. And uh, we just have the incredible privilege of Tracy walking us through Psalm 120, which I know you're going to do brilliantly at. And then we've got an outstanding young man called Tawanda from Blowberg coming to preach. And then I'm up uh, on the last one on James, and I'm going to do a pop quiz. <laughs> so uh, you can't use your phones, you can't. I'm just going to give you, there's 40 questions. If you get more than 20, you can stay part of the church. <laughs> Here's a quote um, that I read uh, this week. It's by Eugene Peterson. He says... And it should be up on the screen. We've been told the lie ever since we can remember human beings are basically nice and good. Everyone is born equal and innocent and self-sufficient. The world is a pleasant, harmless place. We are born free. If we're in change now, it's someone's fault. And we can correct it with just a little more intelligence or effort or time. And Eugene Peterson says, how can we keep on believing this after so many centuries of evidence to the contrary is difficult to comprehend? And so the culture that we live in shouts out, if we just work a little bit harder, if the leaders just do a little bit better job, if we just liberate ourselves from the things that judge us and uh, oppress us, if we just are a little bit more tolerant, then the world that we live in would be a better place. And Eugene Peterson says... That's nonsense. I think he would probably use a stronger word. He says it's rubbish. And James says the same thing. He says actually the culture that we live in makes life exceptionally difficult, that you will continually be faced with both hardships and joys, trials and laughter. And he wants to encourage you how to navigate both. And he really, the, the message of James is that as you, as you learn how to navigate the sufferings and difficulties that you face, relational, financial, 
health-wise, just the realities of life, as you learn how to bring those before God and others, he says something happens within your heart. You, you change. You become a little bit more patient, a little bit more kind, a little bit more trusting. And in so doing, become a little bit more like James's brother, Jesus. And so I'd like to read the Word of God. And I want to invite you to do something, and that is to stand as we read the Word of God. And this is why, is because I think the Word of God is to be um, honored. And I know standing doesn't necessarily do that, but it's just by saying it's more of a hard posture. Hey, Lord, and I don't want to force you to do it, but it's just saying, hey, Lord, we're really not that interested in man's thoughts. We're interested in your word. And so why don't you stand with me as we read God's word? It's not a religious practice. I think it's just saying, hey, Lord, we recognize your word is precious and beautiful to us. James 5 verse 13 says, Is any among you suffering... Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Wonderful, friends. You're welcome to take your seats. Uh, this passage has uh, always been a little bit difficult for me to understand, because uh, it talks about praying, and then it, it talks about when you pray, the person should get, should get healed, particularly if it's the elders. And I uh, grew up in, I would call it a charismatic church, a Presbyterian roots, but we were uh, moved in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and so uh, whenever I prayed for people, I would, would trust God that they would be healed, um, and this passage says that they do get healed, but then I'd also like learn from how other people prayed, and I would copy them. And I would just kind of, it, it often felt like prayer was, if I could just get the right key in the right hole, God would heal. And, and so I heard some godly men say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to be well. And so I would do that, the command prayer. Uh, I heard this, in the authority of Jesus, I command you to be well. And I'll do that, the authority prayer. The rebuke prayer, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, sickness. And I'll do that. And I was just trying to like, try and find some line that would bring healing. Because I was young and stupid. <laughs> and none of, those, none of those are wrong, they're just not what the scripture shares. True story, uh, a guy called Greg Garrett was ministering in Italy, and uh, he said that most of the Italian pastors had learned like, how to speak by watching tele-evangelists in the States, and so they would speak um, uh, with an American accent, and they would copy what the American uh, evangelists would say. So he said there was, there was some uh, 
demonic manifestation, and the Italian pastor um, had heard this, you know, this, this line where you ask the demon, what is, what is your name, demon? And so the pastor, this is a true story, Greg, Greg Garrett says, he says, the pastor says, Demon, what is the time? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, you know, we, we want to get it right before God, and I think James is really helpful in just unpacking a simple way on how to pray. <laughs> I think the demon went, I don't know, like, geez, what's going on here? <laughs> the guy wants to know the time. <laughs> I think what's really helpful is to recognize this passage is not so much about healing. It's about prayer. And James wants to persuade you and I or encourage you and I or invite you and I to pray. Pray for ourselves, pray for one another, and to be a community of prayer. That's where he's wanting to encourage us. So let's go for it. James chapter 5, verse 13 says, If any one of you suffering, let him pray. If is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Um, James is giving us two extremes. He's saying some of you are suffering, there's hardship. Some of you are joyful. Really, uh, that kind of expression is kind of like rich and poor. Um, we, if you say, guys, I'm just speaking to the rich and poor, you're speaking to everyone, or black and white, you, you, you're encompassing everyone. James is saying, hey, listen, Everyone, wherever you, you find yourselves, either find yourself praying or praising. And so he's teaching us that all of life is pushing us to prayer. One of my favorite uh, passages is Philippians 4, where it says, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. Uh, do not be... Uh, well, I think it says there, talks about let uh, your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayers and supplications, present your prayers before God, and the peace of God uh, will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. It's the best I can actually do, but I think it's pretty close. Um, and really, Paul's kind of saying, there is everything, every part of our lives we're to present to God. James is saying, would you grow in that habit of actually, when you are encountering difficulties, your first response is one of prayer. He goes on to say, is anyone of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. James is teaching us when we get sick. And I think it is of a sickness that would keep you in bed. Um, it's a call for the elders and let them anoint you with oil. I had a, a friend of mine just uh, be very kind to me recently. He'd phone me quite often over the past two years and inquire how I was doing. And it was a period that I was struggling. And so I would normally say, you know, I'm struggling. And then he would pray for me. But eventually, I got tired of telling him the same story because after a period, you should, you know, you should get better, yeah? 
and so when he phoned, I kind of, you know when people ask you how you're doing, you, you normally put, you think through how you should reply. You've got a filter, and it's based on do they really care, do they have time, do I, how much do I really want to reveal of what's really going on? And so I said to him, I'm, I'm actually embarrassed to continue to tell you that I'm still struggling after all these phone calls. And so I don't really want to tell you what's going on. And he said to me, Brendan, you haven't understood this relationship. I'm a pastor, and part of how God has made me is to care for pastors. When you don't tell me what's going on, you rob me of the privilege of serving you. And I'm, I'm telling you, friends, I cannot tell you how much I've heard this saying, I don't want to bother you. And it's because two things. Sometimes we don't really, we don't really want to let people in. We, we, we're a little bit proud. Particularly if it's a long-term thing that we're struggling with. We go like, well, how long can this person bear with me? And so because of our pride, we, we don't call anyone. And in this case, it's got to do with sickness. In other words, when you're sick, call the elders and let them pray. But I think as a principle, the principle is when you're struggling, will you let people in? Because when you don't, you rob people of the privilege of serving you with their gift. And it's, it really comes against our individualistic culture. I grew up in a culture, particularly as my dad, was the highest value was independence. Don't depend on someone else. The, the, the community of God is completely opposite like that. Actually, you get to depend upon one another because when you're weak, uh, you're part of the body and the body needs to be strong. So, of course, we want to gather around you. It's beautiful stuff, this. And it's, it's far more invasive. It's far more community-orientated. We often view the elders as this, like, structure. The elders are on top. You can start to see, James is not saying, I mean, he's called the elders because we have the privilege of caring for you. I think elders, we, we put too much emphasis on their government and their leadership and not enough emphasis on their love and their care. Elders are shepherds. God puts elders because he wants to know, he, he wants people to feel the love of God. Elders' hands should smell of sheep. Yeah? Does that illustration sound a bit weird to you? It just means, you know, we should be in your midst. But we're not policemen. We can't force our way into your lives. We, we just offer our services and say, hey, we're here to serve you. Would, 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 you, would you use that? And now I've got five marketplace elders going, how are we going to do this? <laughs> there is realities to marketplace elders. I'm the only full-time elder, and Gareth gives a few hours. But can you hear the heart? The heart is to serve. The, the, God calls elders because he wants his sheep to be loved. It's a, a shepherds are visible signs of God's love for you. Accurate signs. Not just from the pulpit on a Sunday, brilliant word. No, in your home, praying for you, trusting for you, and for your children. And m most of this doesn't have to be elders because it comes across to one another. In other words, you're inviting other people in. I 
think he also talks about elders is because elders should be men of faith. And the prayer that's required is a prayer of faith in terms of sickness. The anointing oil. Um, I've had people ask me, can I pray, can I anoint their home with oil? And um, that might be you. So that's, you know, that's not offensive. In other words, there's something about the oil that you've understood to be set apart for God. And I think that's beautiful. But in this context, the anointing oil looks like it was medicinal. Um, in the Good Samaritan, the um, Samaritan anointed the wounds with oil. So it looks like most, most, that's a, most commentators land on this was medicinal. In other words, the elders not only just prayed for you, but they actually wanted to care for you. These days, we've got doctors. Um, and it's a beautiful picture because really what it's saying is that the grace of God flows through both prayer and the grace of, of, of doctors you've studied and worked hard. I would love just to do something now, and that is just to pray for all of you in the medical profession. Um, and I don't want to force you to, but if you wouldn't mind standing, I'd just like, love to pray for you. If you're in the medical profession, why don't you stand? And you can make that... Father, I thank you for every single person here including all our doctors and those in the medical profession who are many in this church. And Lord, I would pray that your Holy Spirit would touch these precious people and as they encounter people to bring medical healing, I pray that you'd give them much wisdom to bring healing. But I also pray that they'd represent you well. I pray for our doctors who are under massive pressure and through difficulties, and I pray that you'd sustain them and give them grace. And I pray for every single medical professional in our church, and I would ask, Lord, that your grace would sustain them. And so bless them and bless the work of their hands. Amen. James 5 verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. So, um, it gets a little bit uh, tricky because it's kind of saying, well, uh, it's not only that the elders have to pray, but they have to pray a prayer of faith. And then James uses another word for sick, which is feeble or weary, which tends to look like he's both sick Physically, but also there might be a spiritual problem with him as, as well. And then he says, like, if he sinned, you know, he's going to be forgiven and, therefore, and then confess. It kind of goes all over the place. Is, 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 is James saying, like, if you're sick, it's because you sinned? It's not a very helpful thing to say to a person if they're really sick and they ask for prayer. You say, you're a sinner. But James is he's not excluding it. Uh, so... Is there uh, a link between sin and sickness? Uh, yes or no? So firstly, Scripture does record that uh, throughout Scripture that, that sin is linked to sickness. Uh, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, listen, some of you are sick because you're not discerning the body of Christ well. And then secondly, and probably more relatable, 
is that uh, we have this whole range of illnesses called psychosomatic illnesses, where the worry, anxiety, fear, guilt in your mind have an effect on your body. So that's just a natural one. But uh, that's really not where, um, uh, where that's not what James is trying to do. He's not trying to connect that. He's trying to say, actually, as we care for a person physically, we also need to care for them spiritually. So as the elders go to pray um, and trust God for healing, they're not just going, okay, well, the person's just a physical body. We're not going to care for them spiritually. Just as a, a normal conversation would say, hey, listen, is there anything that you're struggling with, worry or guilt or fear, that we can just pray through that's actually, you know, impacting you? Is there anything that you'd just like to bring before God? Um, and this is not just an elder thing. This is just all of us just learning to live uh, open lives. And so James is teaching that spiritual healing is just as important as physical healing. Jesus teaches the same thing when he meets a paralyzed guy. Uh, and he says to the paralyzed guy, uh, your sins are forgiven. Brilliant, Jesus, but I still can't walk. He's saying the condition of your heart, the condition of your soul is the most important thing because we're all going to die at some stage. And so the spiritual condition is really important to James. And so he says, confess your sins to one another. So this is really beautiful because it was this elder kind of person thing. And now it moves into a broader community in, in saying, actually, uh, as we pray for one another for healing, uh, there's this moment of just confessing. Let's think about confessing. It's the admission of things that you don't really want to admit. <laughs> yeah? Uh, it's the bringing into the open of things in your life that are hidden. Martin Luther says all of life is confession. That's helpful because we consistently think we're the only ones who keep messing up in the same way. And we often think as a young guy, I always used to think, God, I know that like, I can confess and you forgive me, but if I do the same thing, when do you run out? Like, When does it actually Say you're like, hey, enough. And that's another story, and that's around repentance and what fruits of repentance, which we're not going around to more this morning. But confession is such a beautiful gift. Here's a quote that I thought was so helpful. Let's confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. No one grows in isolation. We grow in safe community. Sadly, such an experience is rare in our churches. It should be common among us gospel people. It should be our lifestyle. We should be obvious, even scandalous as friends of sinners. But so often someone must make break the ice. I see no revival in our future and without a new culture of confession. Personally, I found a good way to measure my own honesty is my level of embarrassment. If I'm not embarrassed by my confession, I'm still holding out. But it's freeing to come clean with a brother or a sister and receive the mercy of prayer. Such a beautiful thing, friends, confession. Well, how do I know to confess to God or confess to man? Oh, well, you know, try both. <laughs> Some, let me give you a litmus test. If you are embarrassed, if you're not embarrassed to confess to God, but you would be embarrassed to confess to a person, you probably should confess to the person as well. 
one of the things I love to ask men is, is who are the relationships that you've built that you're not afraid to tell everyone, to tell, when there's something happening, just to tell people? And I reckon eight out of ten men would say, I either don't have anyone, or I did have someone, but we're no longer in a friendship, but they've moved away or something like that. Eight out of ten men? In other words, the culture that we built is so individualistic, and it is a bit of a man thing, so I can't comment on ladies, but, but the culture is so individualistic that when we actually do desire to, to, to tell someone what's really going on, the relationship is not strong enough, so we just keep it in. And I want to encourage you, all of us, is to, is to humble yourself and take a next step towards just yielding your life. I'm not expecting that suddenly you just become these confessing giants. But wherever you're at, take one step towards building relationships of trust that you can actually just let people in for who you really are. It's very liberating for people to know who you really are. Because, well, firstly, it's humbling. But the Word of God says if you humble yourself, He'll lift you up. It's a promise. It's not conditional if you humble yourself. And it's such a natural lifestyle. I, um, I had an amazing call this week. Uh, a friend of mine phoned me, a friend of Tash and ours, family friend, and said that he would like me to do a men's camp. I haven't chatted with the elders yet. We just haven't had a chance. And um, it is a friend that I've told everything and just some of my struggles recently and I said to him you've known everything that I've told you this past period and yet you want me to come and minister to your men and he said Brendan you're exactly what our men need there's something beautiful friends about building relationships of trust that you can actually be open and honest not like a once off download but just hey and that's what um, James is calling us to. Confession is not a formula. It's not like I need to do something to get right with God. Confession is a way to restore intimacy and joy. Confession is a way to restore intimacy and joy. Let's carry on from verse 16b. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So if James was really wanting to talk about healing, he would give the example of Elijah healing the widow's son. That was an amazing healing. But he's not. He's talking about this prayer that, about rain, and so you can see he's more talking about prayer. And um, so he, he, he says two things, or a couple of things. Um, he says that um, the prayer is powerful and effective and accomplishes much. He's saying to that community and to us, prayer is significant. And then he says, well, how significant? He said, let me give you a case study. The guy's name is Elijah, and Elijah lived in a time when the nation was not serving God. And so, uh, as a sign of God's displeasure, 
uh, Elijah went to King Ahab and said, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. For three, if it doesn't rain for three and a half years, there's no crop. If you're in an agricultural community, the economy is ruined. He's basically going to the king and saying, my God's going to ruin your economy. That's the power of prayer. And when he, says it, when he, and when he prayed again, it rained and the earth bore fruit. Oh, why, would, why would he use such a powerful example? Because very few of us have that ability. I think he's trying to teach us that we uh, have the incredible ability of just reducing and reducing and reducing and reducing the efficacy of prayer. We have this, because we pray and we don't get what we think we have or what we want, we just kind of give up. And I think it says that, the, the, that, that, that Elijah prayed earnestly or he prayed into praying. And there's something about prayer is that uh, uh, it is a, and a, there, there is an endeavor that I want to describe. It's like a wrestling match. There's a wrestling that you keep wrestling and you keep wrestling and you keep wrestling in prayer. And here's my understanding of prayer according to the Word of God is that uh, if, if it says that the prayer of faith that God will raise them up, then it's, it's, prayer is that place where you wrestle until you find the will of God. Uh, so prayer accomplishes much not because we've got great power, it's because God's got great power. And therefore, when does prayer become really powerful and effective? It's when your prayer agrees with God's will. And that process of finding God's will is often slow and, and a wrestle and a struggle and keep praying and keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. Sometimes it's quick, but mostly it's that. Am I making any sense this morning, guys? But it's, it's really, it's such a beautiful thing that James is teaching us. He's saying your prayers are far more power than you've ever imagined. But the way that, that we actually move into that is that we keep praying until we discover the will of God. And I wish, I wish it, would, it, it was simple. I'm, I'm maybe reducing something that I think is God's mysterious and much bigger than we have. But we can see throughout Scripture that men pray and things change. I think I've told the story, but at the beginning of lockdown, with most of our church moving straight into unemployment because they were gardeners or domestic servants, I knew that they would not have enough money to last them a week, and we would want to care for our people. And that morning, my reading was from um, uh, Genesis, where it says, And the Lord gave success to everything that Joseph put his hand to. And I just prayed a simple prayer, Lord, would you, would you give us success as we seek to, to, to feed um, uh, our people? Would you give us success? It wasn't a long prayer. It wasn't a wrestling prayer. And then as we began to see success in that, I began to pray, Lord, would you give us success in the Eastern Cape? And God gave us success. And I've got videos of truckloads coming into our church of food. Just supernaturally. Uh, just under half a million rands worth of food that came through our church. And you go to, wow, like, Brendan, that's amazing. No, I think the prayer just came in line with God's will. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, you should be saying, okay, we're in a bit of trouble here. Because you've just talked about a righteous man. 
and that's not me. <laughs> what, do we, what do we do? Well, I think James gives us hope because firstly he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like yours and mine. In other words, really what James is saying, hey, Elijah was nothing special. He's just like you. He got afraid. He ran away. He was fearful. He was depressed. Okay, so the playing field's even, yeah? Okay, good. So we can tick the box. We're just like Elijah. He has a nature like ours, but he was also righteous. Righteous means innocent and blameless, perfect before God. And that's the beauty. If we went to James and said, James, thanks so much for the lesson. You've really set us up for failure. You've said prayer can do so much, and then you tell us we have to be righteous. Thanks. Thanks, James. James would say, I'd love to introduce you to my brother. His name is Jesus. And uh, uh, he is able to take away every single act of unrighteous, every single act that you have done that has caused you pain and shame and disgrace and brokenness that you've done in the past and you continue to do and perhaps might even continue to do into the future. He's able to take that away through his blood on the cross, is able to completely cleanse you. And even if you don't understand why or how or why there's blood, he's able to do it. And he's able to present you perfect before the Father because prayer is a relationship with the Father and the way that you get access is through righteousness and the way that you get righteousness is through Jesus. Let me introduce you through Jesus. And so... Can you see how this, this whole thing starts to work? Because confession restores the relationship with the Father. And so the encouragement of James this morning is to pray, is to open up your life so that people can pray for you and to pray for one another. He's calling us that, that life is difficult. We need to be a people who are praying. But also, um, there is a scripture uh, it's actually put on, up on the screen, Romans chapter 8. And it talks about um, one who is interceding for us. It says that Jesus is interceding for us. So before we begin to even say the first prayer, there is one who is always praying for you. There's one who is always praying for you to enable you to get to the place where you start to pray. I don't know what you felt like when I said to you, those members, when you, when you felt like, what you felt like when I said I walked around the dam and just was praying for you by name. But I think like, hey man, thank you. Thank you for praying for me and for my family by name. I only know you and you're praying for me. And I'm just a human. How much more word of God says that Jesus lives to pray for you. The fuel of your prayer is Jesus. The person who opens the gates to your prayer is Jesus. The one who sustains your prayers is Jesus. Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, this is not James beating you in the back saying, come on guys, let's pray, you're not praying enough, come on. I think he's pointing us to his brother and saying, it's a beautiful invitation to pray for yourself and to pray for one another. And in so doing, live this life of grace and kindness under incredibly difficult circumstances.
Let's stand. I think the Word of God does call for a response. Nadine, can you come play for us? Would that be okay on the piano? It's not a religious formula. It's just nice. God created beautiful music. I think Jacques, the whole team, can come up. My apologies. Um, I think two things. Um, Number one is if you would like the elders to pray for you, we would love to pray for you this morning. And um, in, that, in, in this instance, we'd like for you just to come up to the front. We don't want to embarrass you, but we'd love for that to happen. Uh, whether it be a physical healing that you'd like for us to pray for, or a spiritual reality that you'd love for us to pray, we'd love that privilege. But then for the rest of us, uh, the Word of God says, pray for one another. And so here's what I'm going to open an opportunity for you to do, is to uh, find someone and say, would you, is there anything that I can pray for you? And that person can reveal the extent to which they would like to um, uh, reveal. And so, um, and then when we're really going to close in a worship song, I'll hand over to Garrett. So two options that you've got, actually three, because you can choose none of the above. Uh, <laughs> Uh, option one, we would love if you would want just for, for the elders to come and pray and lay hands upon you. For the rest of you, just turn to the person just around you and say, what can I pray for you? And let's practice what we've just learned from James. If the elders can just come to the front, that would be great.